Well, let's uh, take time to ask the Lord to guide us here today. Lord, as we come before You, reflect on what we've just sung about. Lord, there are those right now who are, who are hurting. Just lost a loved one. Those who are hurting because they they just got some news that about health or that just changes things now moving forward. There are those who are hurting because they are facing relational strife. And though Your Word tells us to live at peace with all men as much as is possible, and and though we may try, there doesn't seem to be a resolution. It's hard. Lord, just so many are hurting for one reason or another, and and we're reminded this morning as we sang this song that You will hold us fast. That You will lift us up like that child with its arms lifted up. You will pick us up. You will hold us close to Yourself. You will comfort us and reassure us everything's going to be okay. That You're still in control. And You are at work in the midst of these things that have caused Grief, angst, disruption in our life. Oh God, hold us fast. Give us perspective. Remind us of who You are, oh God. Thank You that You hear us. That You care about us. You care about what we walk through. You want to guide our steps as we yield ourselves to You. You have a purpose and a plan for our lives and for the things that we walk through. A good plan. And You will bring it to a good end. Help us, Lord, to trust You. We ask this morning now that You will help us to understand Your Word. Help me to communicate clearly. And be our teacher and our guide through Your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever been at a place kind of in your life where you're just longing for the next thing? Right? You, you, you can't wait to get to that next step, that next phase, that next season, whatever it is. If you've ever felt that way, maybe you can relate to this woman's contemplations. I came across this years ago. She writes this, first I was dying to finish high school and start college. And then I was dying to finish college and start working. And then I was dying to marry and have children, and then I was dying for my children to grow old enough for school so I could return to work. And then I was dying to retire. 
And now, now I'm just dying. And suddenly I realize I forgot to live. Reminded me of the words of a country song by Tim McGraw. Live like you were dying. If you're not familiar with it, let me read the words as opposed to sing them to you. He said, I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me when a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays and talking about the options and talking about sweet time. And I asked him, when it sank in that this might really be the real end, how does it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what'd you do? He said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper. And I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. <clears throat> he said, I finally was the husband that most of the time I wasn't. And I became a friend a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition. And I went three times that year I lost my dad. Well, I finally read the good book and I took a good, long, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. And then I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. You're dying. And today you're as close to dying as you've ever been. And tomorrow you'll be one day closer than you are today. We have to live with death in view. If we're going to make the most of the time in which God has given us, we've got to know that it's coming to an end. But the end in this life isn't the end. And so as we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, and we continue to look through this now into chapter 3, we're going to look at time in light of eternity. How God works an eternal purpose through a temporal world. We live in time and space. And yet God is above time and space. And God is orchestrating a purpose and a plan that is beyond this life. While we walk in this life. And while time is of the essence. You'll recall that as we began looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, we saw that the writer, I believe to be Solomon, is basically saying life under the sun, that is life here without a perspective of eternity, without a thought about God, without considering who He is and what, how He is at work, just life under the sun is all vanity. He says, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. It is meaningless here under the sun without an eternal perspective. 
And we wonder, why is this book written in the Bible? Because it seems very depressing, very discouraging, until we understand that God has put this here to remind us that life is not just about this place. Because if it is, it's a really meaningless life. We've got to rise above it. We've got to maintain a level of sanity in the midst of the vanity of this life. And the only way we can do that is to have an eternal perspective on all that goes on. So with that in mind, we come to chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, which we'll look at this morning. He writes this, There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace, a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves, and he's made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it and there is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear Him. That which is has been already and that which has, will be has already been. For God seeks what has passed by. Well, what do we do with this passage? How do we make sense of this? This talking about time, a time for this, a time for that. Well, first of all, there is a particular time for everything, which we see in verses 1 through 8 here. This is a poem called Mirism. It's a form of poetry in which Two concepts that are polar opposites are set by, side by side, kind of a mirror back and forth. And so he goes through 14 different activities in this verses 2 through 8. And in doing so, he begins with a time for birth and a time for death. He's basically saying life as a whole has an appointed time. Right? There's an appointed time for everything. That is, every event has a determined time in God's economy. The word there that's translated appointed time means determined time. It means a point in time. There is a point in time for every one of these events that take place in this life. There is a time to give birth, and there is a time where people will die. There is a time to tear down, and there is a time to build up. There is a time for every event 
under heaven. It is appointed by God. It is determined by Him. It's not determinism in that we just have nothing to do with it, but we are parts in this drama, if you will. We have decisions we make, and yet God oversees all of this. And He has a determined time for these things. Secondly, we see that every event has a duration of time. The word in the second part of verse 1 that's translated time, the time for every event, is a word which means a proper time or a season of time. We go through life and we go through seasons in our life, right? And sometimes, as I said earlier, sometimes we're looking forward to the next season and we fail to appreciate the season in which we're in because we're looking ahead. We're always looking at what's next because what is next seems like it would be better than what we're going through now. And if we keep living that way, we're going to find that we've missed a lot of opportunities to live. One commentator said, life is composed of joy and sorrow, building and destroying, living and dying. Each comes at the proper time. And this reminds us that we are creatures of time and not yet able to partake of the joys of eternity. Not yet. No one can be happy who has not come to grips with the reality life is full of changes and sorrows as well as continuity and joy. We must accept that we are mortal and governed by time. That is our life here under the sun, right? Under heaven. It is governed by time. There's a determined time and there's a duration of time. We can't go back in time and change things, though we oftentimes would like to, right? Man, there are so many times I look back and things in my past, and I say, man, if I would have known then what I know now, I would have done things differently. I would have said things differently. I would have acted differently. I would have related differently. I can't go back and change anything that happened in the past. Neither can you. But we cannot live regretting the past because it will keep us from living in the present and living as we ought to have lived then, we do now. Nor can we be continually looking ahead and saying, boy, when I get to this place, when this happens, when, 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 then life really will begin. Well, you're never going to get there. <laughs> and you're going to miss all that you have going on right now and how God would have you to live your life now and the difference you can make now. Sometimes we look ahead and we think, man, you know, when I get to a certain place in life, I want to be able to look back and I want to know that I've made a difference or I've made an impact, right? Or maybe we think about heaven and we say, man, when I get to heaven, I'll get a chance to see from God's perspective all that happened in my life and, and the things that I was able to be a part of. Well, unless we take part in it now, unless we realize that now is the moment to serve, now is the moment to be part of this, we're never going to get there and look back and see how that happened. And so 
Though it's good to look back at times and though it's good to look ahead at times, we cannot do so at the de- to the detriment of what is going on right now. We are living in a time frame and we need to function in that because God has determined things at certain times and there are durations of time. And when we're in it, we need to make the best of it and the most of it as we're walking through it. But we also need to understand that every event is part of God's divine plan. God is orchestrating all of this. He's at work in the midst of things. Things that we enjoy, things that we don't enjoy. Things that we understand, things we don't understand. He is orchestrating. He is working in all of these things. One In the Cornerstone Biblical Commentary, the the author says this is a poem and is descriptive and not prescriptive, at least in the following sense. It may not be used to justify any particular emotion or action. In other words, it's not legitimate to use the concluding verse to justify any particular war. Participants cannot simply say that, well, there's a time for war and conclude that their warfare is right and just. It's not up to us to determine that. He says, indeed, the teacher or the preacher here in this passage is affirming that God has a right time for everything. But in the following verses, he is going to question whether human beings can have any certainty about those times. And then another commentator, Warren Wearsby, says, not only are there times and seasons in this world, but there is also an overruling providence in our lives. From before our birth to the moment of our death, God is accomplishing his accomplishing his divine purposes even though we may not always understand what he is doing in 14 statements solomon affirmed that god is at work in our individual lives seeking to accomplish his will and all of these events come from god and they are good in their time the inference is plain if we cooperate with god's timing life will not be meaningless everything will be beautiful in his time. God is orchestrating a divine plan in the midst of the time that we are living. Just as he was for those in our history. Right? We can sometimes look back and see particular individuals at particular times in life had an incredible impact. It isn't because in that moment they were looking back and regretting what they had been doing or looking ahead of what they could be doing. They were acting in the moment. They were living what God had called them to do in the moment. And as they did that, they were able to find sanity in the midst of the vanity of life. And they were able to fulfill God's purpose for their life in the time in which they lived. And God wants to do the same thing in your life and mine. Whether any history book will ever record your life or mine really doesn't matter. What matters is that we live in the time God has given us for Him, for His glory, serving the the purpose He has put us here because He has a divine plan. Which brings us to the second major point, and that is there's a providential purpose behind everything. Whether, again, we understand what's going on or not, whether we like what's going on or not, There's a providential purpose God has. 
And we don't always understand it. He says in verse 9, What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? The word toils means laboring to the point of exhaustion or suffering. He says, you know, when we're looking from only the life under the sun, we say, what profit is there in all this hard work, in all this suffering that we do? It's a task God has given to the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. But we look and say, what purpose is all this? We don't understand it. But God has a purpose. And we realize as we step back and gain an eternal perspective that <laughs> we're not in control. We would like to be. We wish we were. We sometimes think we are. We try to hold on and maintain control. And then God allows something to happen that's completely out of our control to remind us we're not really in control. We don't determine the appropriate time or the duration of time for most things in this life. That's God's business. We have a part to play at times, but ultimately it's in His hands. We need to entrust ourselves into His care. Right? We reach our arms up. Daddy, pick us up. Right? Life's getting too hard right now. I'm tired, I'm weary, I don't understand, I'm afraid, whatever. And we go to the one who is in control. And we follow his lead. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You look to the word of God and you follow what you know. And you trust him with the things you don't understand, the things you can't see, the things you don't understand, don't know about. All of our wearying labor, apart from God, is, is at the end, it's meaningless. Because we can't take anything with us. When we die, it's all gone. Or it goes to someone else, as we talked about last week. Somebody else enjoys it. But when our toil is for Him, it's not in vain. Paul told the Corinthians at the end of that long chapter, in chapter 15, talking about the encouragement of resurrection, the hope that we have because Christ was raised. We too will one day be raised. And then he concludes it by saying, Therefore, my brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. Keep pressing on. In the Lord. Because it's not for naught if it's for the Lord. Because God has a providential purpose. He's working. And it's a good purpose. And if we can't see the good in it yet, it's probably because God isn't done with it yet. And so we trust Him. And we entrust ourselves, our loved ones, in our circumstance, into His care and believe He knows what He's doing. Secondly, 
Verse 11, He makes everything appropriate in its time. The word appropriate means beautiful, pleasant, well. He takes what we're going through and He works in it. And He makes it beautiful. He makes it appropriate in the right time. This is what God does. One commentator said, God makes everything beautiful in His time, but man's unable to see it. And then he refers to Psalm 90, verses 1-5. through 5, And he says that this it represents man, the consciousness of his frailty, taking refuge in God's eternity. Turn for a moment to, to Psalm 90. The only psalm we have recorded that Moses wrote. <clears throat> Moses is in the wilderness leading the people of Israel. And you know what happened there. Because they didn't trust God, didn't obey God, the entire generation of adults that came out of Egypt perished in the wilderness. A journey that should have taken a couple of weeks took 40 years. Because God had them wander until that entire generation died. Because of their disobedience and lack of trust in God. And Moses is writing about the reality of the frailty of humanity. He says this, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were born. For Thou didst give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. And Thou dost turn man back into dust. And dost say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight, like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. A thousand years, like yesterday. Thou hast swept them away like a flood, and they fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. And he said that's what life is like. He had a real good perspective as he watched people die right before him. Life is fleeting. Here one day, gone tomorrow. And that's why he says a few verses later in verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may present to thee a heart of wisdom. In other words, God, help us to understand our mortality. Help us to know that we've only got so much time and our time is fleeting. So help us to number our days. Right? Help us to recognize that every day counts. And then he goes on to say, not only everything appropriate in its time, but he has also said eternity in their heart. Paul says in Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for them that love Him and are called according to His purpose. We look at some things and say, how in the world can anything good come out of this? The only way we can see it is because we know there is something beyond this life. There's an eternity in which God is able to work all the stuff 
out that happens that's not good in our life here. And He's able to produce a purpose that is good in the midst of it and through it. And so when things aren't the way they're supposed to be, when things aren't the way we think they should be, we look to God and we realize He knows what He's doing. He's got a plan. We trust Him. He makes everything appropriate in His time and then He sets eternity in our hearts. God has set eternity in our hearts. I think what that means is He's given us a sense of eternity. We have a longing for something more than this world can offer. God has put it inside of us. We were made for something else. We have a sense of that. Is it any wonder that we're obsessed in our culture with health and trying to live as long as we can? Because God has put this sense in us, but when we don't understand who God is and we don't understand life beyond the grave and we don't understand heaven and hell and, and why God sent His Son Christ to die for us because of our sin, when we don't understand those things, we are trying to live forever. In our own, by our own means. We're obsessed with this in our culture. There's nothing wrong with being healthy. We should be. But that's not the end goal. Because we're not going to live here forever. If I spend all my time trying to be healthy and live as long as I can, but do nothing for Christ, what good is that? Now, if I pursue health and my well-being so that I can live as long as I can on this earth to serve Jesus every moment He has given me, there's value to that. And so we have a sense within ourselves that there's something more than what we experience here. We have a longing that God has put inside of us. C.S. Lewis, I like the way he said it, his, our Heavenly Father has provided us many delightful inns along our journey. But he takes great care to see that we do not mistake any of them for home. There's a lot of good stuff in this life. Things we are allowed to enjoy. But God has put eternity in our hearts to remind us that this is not our home. This is not all there is. And this is why we proclaim Christ, because He is the hope of glory. He is the only way that a person can escape the reality of the meaninglessness of all of this and be assured of an eternity with God. Because our sin separates us from God. And Christ came to, to satisfy God's holy punishment against sin by taking the punishment for us. And when we entrust ourselves to Christ and the work He did on the cross as our salvation, we receive the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. 
and are assured that we will be with Him one day in glory. And that sense of eternity is placed in our heart as a compelling uh, uh, force within us to look for that. We, as God's people, are left here to proclaim this message to those who are looking for it in every other way. So we see there's a particular time for everything and there's a providential purpose behind everything. Lastly, there's a proper response to everything. Verses 12 through 15, or 12 through 14 really. He says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and do good to one in one's lifetime. It's called to rejoice, right? We need to offer praise to the Lord no matter what. That's our response. When we understand God is at work, when we understand the life under the sun is not all there is, and even when things aren't the way we want them to be, our response is to offer praise to God. Even if we can't praise Him for what we're going through, we can praise Him for who He is in the midst of what we're going through. Because He is good and He is faithful. He is trustworthy. And these are the things that the enemy is trying to tell us are not true. Whether it's through circumstances or through our feelings, our emotions. Right? In this postmodern world, emotion equals truth. We know that's not true. But we live in a world that buys into that. We live in a world that's continually telling us this. And if we're not, if we're not aware of that that's the philosophy and the way of thinking, then we buy into a lot of things that are said, that point to that, that don't say it that clearly. But it's clear. Emotion equals truth to many people. And so if I feel something, it must be true. We know that's not right. Because we feel a lot of things at times that simply aren't true. The enemy wants to use that philosophy of thinking to tell us because we feel bad, God must not be good. And that's why we continue to tell, to, to speak and teach the truth that this is the Word of God and we must run back to this for the truth. We must evaluate our feelings based on what the truth is. What God, who God is and what God says. And so, a proper response to whatever we're going through. If it's joyful, certainly it's easy for us to praise God. But when it's not joyful, we still need to praise God. That's a proper response, no matter what. Secondly, he says, we should give thanks for God's good gifts. Verse 13, moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is the gift of God. We should give thanks to God for His good gifts. This doesn't come natural to us. The story Jesus told um, in... Uh, or in, in um, Luke 17, 
uh, the story where, where Jesus went into this town and there were ten lepers and they were crying out to be healed. And Jesus said, uh, go, go show yourself to the priests. And on the way, they were all healed. Only one came back to give thanks. Ten percent right, came back to give thanks. That's pretty true of us as a society. About ten percent of the time, we give thanks. It's just not natural for us. And so we've got to discipline ourselves to, to be thankful people. And when we discipline ourselves to give thanks, it will produce a more spontaneous heart of gratitude in us. Giving thanks is not the same thing as feeling thankful. Giving thanks is an action, right? We need to say it. We need to express it to God. Thank you, Lord. I'm sure every one of those other nine guys, as they're walking along to, to show themselves as a priest, was feeling pretty grateful that they were healed, but they didn't go back to give thanks. We need to give thanks for God's good gifts. And lastly, Verse 14, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There's nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take from it. In other words, God is God, and God is in control, and God is working. He says, for God has so worked that men should fear Him. We need to allow the circumstances of life, whether they're good or whether they're bad in our perspective, to teach us to fear the Lord. That as we walk through this journey and experience life, in all of its ups and downs, we need to allow it to teach us to fear the Lord. As we've talked before, we went through the book of Proverbs, right? The fear of the Lord is, is acknowledging Him. It's, it's recognizing there is a God. And it's responding to Him as God in worship, in thanks, in praise. And then it's yielding to Him as Lord over our life. Again, this is lacking in our world that we live in. It's not just out there. It's lacking within the context of the body of Christ as well. We need to walk in the fear of the Lord. We need to let the circumstances. And God oftentimes will so work through negative circumstances to produce this if we will allow Him, if we will allow ourselves to learn from these circumstances that God is a God to be feared. And what does that mean? Warren Wearsby, I think, is helpful in this. He says this. He said, a Puritan pastor, Thomas Watson, said, Eternity to the godly is a day that has, that has no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. And then he says, A proper attitude for us is the fear of the Lord which is not the cringing of a slave before a cruel master, but the submission of an obedient child to a loving parent. If we fear God, we need not fear anything else, for He is in control. It's the recognition that God is God. He could, in a moment, wipe us out if He chose to. But as a loving Father, He loves us so much. And not only does He want us for Himself, but He did something to provide that by sending His own Son to die in our place so that we, through Him, 
to be part of His family forever. So it's not a cringing that, oh no, God saw that, maybe He's going to punish me. It's a, I want to walk in obedience to a Father who loves me so much that He would send His Son to die for me. I want to live in relationship with that God. And I want to walk in obedience to Him. That's what a healthy fear of the Lord is. We need to grow in these things. And so we walk through this life, this temporal world, knowing that God has an eternal plan. The bottom line is, God is working His eternal plan through temporal circumstances. We are called to praise Him, to thank Him, to learn from Him, and to trust Him. Our gracious Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have given us instruction, reminded us of what life is like when we live it as if there's no God. Help us to live in such a way that not only do we live with eternity in view, but we live before others a testimony to this reality. And others may see our good works. Others may see our life. And others might hear our words and glorify our Father in heaven. We might point others to Christ. That we might show others there is meaning in this life. And it's not just found in looking for the next thing. Hoping that the next thing will bring satisfaction. Hoping that the next thing will make me feel significant. Hoping that if I get to this point in life, Maybe when I retire, then I can enjoy life. Maybe when I get to the, a certain place, that, then things will really make sense. And Lord, without you, nothing does. So help us to get it and then to give it. As you've given us the opportunity to continue to walk in this life on our journey toward home. Thank you, Father. For it's in Christ's name we pray.